0: Welcome back to the Apostles' Mailbox, where it has been far too long since our last episode. That's right, it's been almost a month. I took off, I jumped on a plane, and went with a group of people down to Peru— Uh, We were 10 days in the country there. God did some neat things that I will share in another episode. Uh, But when I got back from Peru, I was sick. Actually, I'm still feeling a little bit under the weather. I've been praying for God to heal me, and uh, maybe you can join us in that. Uh, But for now, I have enough energy uh, to share with you something really, really neat that I feel like God has shown me recently. Uh, We are going to be talking today about the forgotten name of God. <laughs> well, with such an intro, I mean, I can hardly wait to get into the topic, right? Uh, and to do that, I just wanted to introduce today's episode with this idea of sleight of hand. What is sleight of hand? Well, sleight of hand is uh, generally speaking when a magician uh, will distract your attention from something that's going on in one place uh, and so that he can make a switch or do something uh, very deft and very dexterous uh, in, in another place. And so while you're looking here, he's doing something there and uh, he pulls off his illusions uh, by distracting your attention always where he wants it to be. Okay, you. this phrase then, of course, gets applied to other things, financial sleight of hand as a little bit of trickery, uh, for instance, in financial matters. And I think Satan does this on us perhaps more often than uh, we would hope. Uh, in fact, one of the things that happened in Peru is that a couple people brought up this idea of, of testing the spirits, um, of understanding that that Satan, as Paul tells us in in Second Corinthians, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so just because something seems appealing or bright or or white, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that it's from God. And so you have to sort out, is this truly from God? Or is it not, especially when it comes to people who are claiming to represent God or if you have some uh, spiritual encounter in knowing if that was from God or if that was intended by the evil one uh, to lead you astray. And so we're going to see two examples of some spiritual sleight of hand that I think we have perhaps been victim to, and uh, I hope you will have your eyes opened and you will understand uh, that the evil one is very crafty. And you want to be on your guard even as you read the Bible uh, that you don't miss where he pulls your attention to. Okay, so that's a lot of talking for introduction. Uh, Let's just jump straight to it. So I wanted to begin here in Genesis 3. You are perhaps familiar with this passage if you have If you have read Genesis, you'll have, of course, if you've read the creation account, you'll have read it before. Even if you haven't, this is one of the most commonly talked about passages in Scripture. It refers to the fall of Adam and Eve, right? You know the story. Adam and Eve are walking around in the garden, and along comes uh, the serpent, and he gets them to eat the forbidden fruit. No, it wasn't an apple. I suppose it could have been, but... Um, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple, it was just says it was fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right? You've, you've heard this story in Sunday school. I'm going to read it to you real quick. Uh, here's what it says But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, um, because he's just asked her if God truly prohibited them from eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or from their fruit. He says, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay? So now you read that, and you go, Okay. Um Satan is lying. He is deceiving Adam and Eve. He is telling them that they won't surely die. What a deception, because we all know, of course, when they eat that fruit, right, that they do in fact receive the curse of death and we've all inherited it from them ever since then. But unless you are paying attention very, very carefully, or unless the Lord sort of like draws your attention to something, uh, you may have missed uh, the sleight of hand that's going on here, okay? And and so I want to look at that passage. Uh, I noticed this in church yesterday. Our pastor was reading Genesis one, and I and I and in Genesis three, and I saw this, and I was like, oh, okay. So in Genesis one, I want you to notice something. In Genesis one. Uh, We read that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we know the Bible tells us that men, that Adam and Eve were made in God's image and all of us after that are made in the image of God. But something was a a problem. The New Testament spells out how the first Adam who was made in the image of God failed to be a proper image bearer of God. Okay, But we're told that Jesus in Colossians 1:15, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So when when the Apostle Paul looks at Jesus, he describes Jesus as the image of God. All right? Uh, Hebrews 1 will tell us that he is the exact representation or the exact image imprint of God's being. And so, where Adam was created to be in the image of God and failed, he fell short. Uh, Jesus was the one who was the the exact perfect image of the invisible God, okay? And so, you have this contrast between Adam and Jesus. Now, what what I want you to do now is look at this deception here, okay? So here's what Satan says. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But here's what 1 Corinthians 5 tells us about Jesus. It says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, did you catch it? <laughs> did you see? Did you see what's going on there? So when we use the word no, sometimes we use the word no like, I have knowledge of something as information. Okay, I know that 2 plus 2 is 4. I know that Washington, D.C. is the capital of the United States of America. I know a lot of things. Uh, But there's a different kind of know that we use uh, that is sometimes— we sometimes even use the phrase, uh, they knew them in the biblical sense. So in Genesis, uh, it says that Adam knew his wife and then she became pregnant. And then Cain knew his wife and she became pregnant, right? So so they knew somebody in, in this experiential way. It's talking about marital relationships there, okay? Now in 1 Corinthians 5, When Paul says about Jesus that he knew no sin, he's not saying that Jesus didn't know about sin. He's saying that Jesus had no experiential knowledge of sin. He didn't know it firsthand. He hadn't experienced it. He did not know from doing what it was to sin. All right, have you caught it yet? Are you with me? (laughs) So now let's look at this temptation. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's what Satan says God is like. Satan says that God knows, not just knows about, that God knows by experience good and evil. Alright, so when he tells Adam and Eve to become like God, he's saying to become like God, then you will know by experience what is good, which you already know, but you will also know by experience what is evil. And then, and then you will be like God. Okay, so we think, and and for my whole life, I thought the deception is really about Adam and Eve, or about Satan lying to Eve, about the serpent lying to Eve and saying, you're not really going to die. And that was the big deception. But the real deception going on here, the sleight of hand, the one that I think my attention was distracted from, the big fat lie we notice, right? But the subtle lie we don't notice, and the subtle lie is this, is that Satan is proclaiming something about the nature of God that is untrue. He is saying that God knows what it is to be good, and God also knows what it is to do Evil. And he's saying, if you want to be like God, you should do good and you should do evil, right? Do you see that sleight of hand there? And so we read this story and we're so busy looking at like this big fat lie, you will not surely die, that we miss the very subtle lie. And I think this happens sometimes in, in our study of Scripture, in our pursuit of Scripture, that Satan sort of does this sleight of hand and he gets us focusing on one big thing that causes us to miss this really subtle and really destructive Uh, lie that he feeds along in there with it. And a lot of those most destructive lies, I believe, get to the nature of our understanding of who God is, right? It, It gets to the nature of our sense of God's character. Is he indeed a loving God or is he a God that knows what it is to do good and also to do evil? And when Paul says Jesus knew no sin, and he's saying that Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God, right? What Paul is saying is this, God doesn't know evil like we do. He does not know by experience what it is to sin. Jesus, who is the perfect representation of God, Jesus did not know sin. He perfectly fulfilled what it is to be in the image of God, which is to be perfectly righteous. So the one who didn't know sin is more like God than the one who does know good and evil. And so when Adam and Eve partook of that fruit, they didn't become more like God, knowing good and evil. They became less like God, knowing good and evil. So... I don't know if this is as big of a, like, moment for you <laughs> as it was for me when when uh, God brought this to my attention yesterday. But I had always thought, like, oh, yeah, God was sort of, like, keeping Adam and Eve and the kids, you know, in the at the kids' table. They're not big enough to know good and evil like God knows good and evil. I didn't realize that the fact of the matter is that who God is is God does not know evil by experience and to know evil, to know sin by experience is not a step up to, to, to be closer to divinity if you will. but uh, the, the knowing of evil is a step away uh, from the image of God. okay so now you've seen that little sleight of hand, I want to show you another one that has really, really, really been sort of like uh, challenging me. Okay, so to do that, I want to take you to Isaiah 42, verse 8. All right, in Isaiah 42, verse 8, God is talking to Israel, and he's actually talking about his servant, about Jesus. This is Isaiah 42, looks ahead to Jesus, but he makes this statement in there. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. But you know what? Lord is not a name. Lord is a title, okay? The, the, a Lord is a is a master. He's, he's someone with authority, but Lord is a generic title. There have been many Lords, right? What do we know about uh, Jesus? He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's many Lords, and Jesus is Lord over the Lords, right? And so Lord is not a name. It's a title. But if you look in your... English Standard Version, for instance, you'll notice that Lord is written in all uppercase letters, right? That's capital L-O-R-D. And there, there's a big, long story behind this. Uh, when that Lord shows up, it's because in the Hebrew text, it shows up this word, Yahweh. Okay, it's, it's, it's called the Tetragrammaton. It's four Hebrew letters, Yod, He, Vav, and He, Yahweh. And it's written, you can see on the screen here, it's written backwards, right to left, because that's the way Hebrew goes. Yod is a little one, hey, vav, and hey. And that's the name of God that he gave to Israel. Now, I pronounce it Yahweh. Um, Some people might say it's Yehweh, other people, if you if you've read like an old King James version, you might have heard the the word Jehovah. Uh, certainly, if you're familiar with the group of people known as Jehovah's Witnesses, they pronounce it Jehovah, um, and, and that's owing to this tragedy of uh, Jewish history. Okay, so God gave God gave Israel an Exodus. 6, he gave his name to them. So, uh, Exodus 6, God speaks to Moses and he says to him, I am Yahweh. Now, I've put his name in brackets here because in the English Standard Version, it says, I am the Lord again. Uh, it's not a name, that's a title. He says, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So in Exodus 6, God is revealing to Moses and to Israel, by extension, his name. He is telling them, this is my name. My name is Yahweh. And that name shows up in your Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, it shows up over 5,000 times. Okay, so when Israel was writing down their scriptures, they used God's personal name, yod Hey vav Hey. these four Hebrew letters that God gave to Israel when he told them who he was, right? He said, you're going to be my people, you're going to be the people of Yahweh. And in fact, if you read in your Old Testament prior to this moment, they also, the Hebrew scriptures include the name Yahweh. And it's not because they knew his name always back then, most likely, uh, but it is because uh, when you write down what someone did, if you know their name, you use their name, even if you didn't know their name at the time, right? So if I met a stranger uh, and and he drove his car into mine, let's say we got in an accident and some stranger drove his car into mine, Uh, And then uh, we were working out the insurance details and I found out his name was Bob. Um, And then later on, I had to write a police report and I would say, okay, so Bob came around the corner and he smashed into my car, right? Did I know his name was Bob at that time? No. But now that I know his name is Bob, I'm not going to say, and then this random stranger uh, came around the corner and then I found out his name was Bob later, right? So uh, there's a, sort of an anachronism, we call it, where you take later knowledge and you put it back into an earlier account. And so when Israel writes, when the Israelites, when the Jews write down their scriptures, they put God's name in the the Old Testament prior to this point because they know that's who he was. He was the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And for hundreds of years, the Jews used God's personal name. Uh, They spoke it. They sang it. Uh, in fact, uh, there is perhaps some evidence that they even used his name as a greeting to each other in the street. And then at some point, some rabbi uh, in, in or a group of rabbis in Israel's history, they decided that to use God's name in a casual manner would be to blaspheme him and that you could actually lose your share of eternal life uh, if you if you said God's name out loud. And at this point in history, they stopped saying God's name, and they started, instead of saying God's name, they would say Adonai, which means Lord. And so when they came to God's name written in Scripture, in an effort to honor God, they wouldn't say his name. They would say Adonai. You see where this is going, right? So God was the one who gave them the name, and God even told them to use that name. I'll share that with you in a, in a in, shortly. God told them to use his name. He gave them his name, and for a while they were right, but then eventually they got too good too big for their britches right they got too holy for their own good they said oh this isn't this isn't good we should we should not say god's name that's a bad thing it's very presumptuous to say god's name so we're just going to say lord instead and so they would be go on reading uh the if they were reading the old testament scriptures and they got to that name to yod he vave they wouldn't pronounce that name they would say adonai they would say lord instead Okay. So, later on when a group of masoretes and these were in like 800 AD and later a group of Hebrew scholars were trying to preserve the Old Testament and they were they they created they invented this system of putting vowel sounds using dots and dashes above and below the Hebrew consonants which up until then had only the consonants it didn't have vowels. Uh, They decided they didn't want anybody accidentally reading God's name. And so they put the consonants, or sorry, the vowel sounds for Adonai uh, in, in that name. And if you read it with those vowels, then that name would be pronounced Yehovah or Jehovah. Okay, so the, the reason that people used to, hundreds of years ago, think God's name was Jehovah is because they were taking the vowel sounds from Adonai and uh, they when you combine them with the Hebrew consonants, you essentially, you get uh, Yehovah. Okay, so uh, that's where the name Jehovah came from. When scholars finally, much, much later, figure out what was going on, uh, they guessed that the name was probably pronounced Yahweh. I'm not sure exactly how they came to that conclusion, or Yahweh. Um, we're not entirely certain. Uh, part of it might have to do with the fact that sometimes that name is shortened in Hebrew to just being Yah. Um but we're not certain okay so at any rate so the name stopped being pronounced and then in the 200s bc-ish when when the hebrew scholars started translating the old testament into the septuagint into greek they translated the tetragrammaton the name of god yahweh they translated kurios which is greek for lord so they they basically threw god's name out of the old testament and they replaced it with a title Lord. Now, if that doesn't seem like a crying shame to you, I don't know what is. What if somebody uh, who you met, they gave you your name and then you refused to call them by their name? You just called them sir or ma'am or whatever out of a desire to be respectful for them. What you would be doing, in fact, is rejecting that personal intimacy, that closeness that was intended. So, Yahweh used to walk with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, and they would talk with him, and he had close, unbroken intimacy with them. And then when they sinned, they broke that, right? They were separated from him. And when God goes back to Israel, he says, I'm going to take a people for my own. And then he says, I'm going to give them my name so they know what to call me, so they know how to call me. Yahweh, and then those same people, they take that tremendous privilege and that blessing of knowing the Creator's name, and they exchange it for the formality of a religious declaration, and they call Him Lord instead of calling Him by His name, okay? Do you see what has happened, is that Satan has taken this impulse in us to Uh, to want to be, you know, religious and not to anger God. And And he has caused people to take that and to reject some of that personal intimacy that God has given us. Unfortunately, what happened with the Septuagint has been repeated again and again and again. It happened in the Latin Vulgate, where they took God's name and they, um, and they translated Dominus, which is Lord, and then that made its way into English translations. And almost every English translation you'll find out there in your Old Testament is not going to use the name of God that he gave us. It's not going to say Yahweh. Uh, is going to say Lord. And even if they're trying to indicate that the divine name is there, all caps, L-O-R-D, unfortunately, they've just perpetuated this idea that God is not a who that we can know, but he is a what, he is a Lord, he is out there, he is separate, he is sort of unapproachable. And so we lost the name of God. Uh, It's not... (laughs) And and for 2,000 years, right, we have lost the name of God. Now, it's fascinating to note that some of the Jews didn't go this way. So we have, from around the time of Christ, we have some Greek manuscripts of the Old Testament, some Greek translations of the Old Testament that when, when God's name shows up, instead of it saying kurios, which is Lord in Greek, It has written in ancient, like, early Hebraic script, the Tetragrammaton, God's name. So it's like Greek, 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 and then it's God's name printed, like, in the original uh, Hebrew script, and then it goes back to Greek, 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 Greek. Right. And and in other places, they, they would just put like four dots instead of writing his name if they wanted to honor the name. But they didn't. They weren't going to turn it into Kurios. They just put other dots. And in other places, uh, there's more of a modern Hebrew script. Um, that has his name Yahweh in there but but those Greek manuscripts saw that it was necessary that God's name was sacred and that it had been a gift to Israel to have his name given to them and so they wanted to preserve it and interestingly enough, in those cases uh, those... Uh, scribes wouldn't even transliterate it, wouldn't even change the characters into Greek letters. They put the actual Hebrew letters in there because that was the name as God had revealed it to them, right? So uh, we could translate into some like sort of English equivalent or you could keep the Hebraic uh, name. And it's it's ironic, a scholar later on when... when um, people who didn't know Greek would read these old manuscripts. Uh, we have a historical reference to the fact that, that some of these Greek speakers, if they were called to read from the Old Testament, they would read in the Greek and they got to yod hevav vav but it's written backwards. And it looks like uh, the the Greek Uppercase letters for uh, P and Yoda and P and Yoda, and so uh, this historian said that there were some uh, Greek native Greek speakers who would read this, and when they got to it, they would pronounce God's name P.P. Uh, because that's what Yoda Bavhe looked like uh, written in this Hebraic script. Uh, in their in the midst of their Greek manuscripts, which is like oh my. Um, so uh, these things get lost; they 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 they're forgotten. And sadly for us, the the impact is that we have, uh, in some ways, we've forgotten the name of God. Now I was doing some reading about this today, and and somebody uh, made this comment that this might have even been in some ways uh, a fulfillment of what could be taken as a prophecy in Jeremiah. Um, God says, How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? And you say, well, what does that have to do with the Tetragrammaton in God's name? Well, here's what it has to do with it. God says in Jeremiah that these people's fathers forgot his name, Yahweh, for Baal. The word Baal is the Canaanite name for Lord. Baal means Lord. Okay, and so there is is these Canaanites. They worshiped a God that they called Baal, which was literally Lord. Israel was given God's name, Yahweh, and what did they do? They traded it in for the name Lord. They got rid of yod of, of vav and they used the title Lord instead. Now, if you're in a culture, right, if you're in a culture where Baal means Lord and Baal is a not- uh, is not the Creator of God? Is not the Christian God? But all is a Canaanite deity, and his name means Lord. Then it it's not too hard to imagine that there was some there was some mixing up, there was some losing of this religion. So take this then in Second Samuel. David inquires of the Lord, and it's Yahweh in the Hebrew text, right? David inquired of Yahweh, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And Yahweh said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, Yahweh has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called... Baal-perazim. Now, Baal-perazim means Baal has broken out, right? So, so David said, Yahweh has broken through, but therefore, then, he says, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. So, when the author of 2 Samuel is writing, this is long after the time of David, he's recounting this history, and he's saying... Perhaps not in David's day was that called, yeah, uh, was that called Baal Perazim? But by the, by the day that this guy is writing, the people call that place Baal Perazim. What does Baal mean? The Lord, right? It's it's the word meaning Lord, and so they call this place the Lord has broken out. But David didn't say Baal broke out. He said. Yahweh broke out. And so this substituting of God's name Yahweh for the term Lord has perhaps morphed into this rejection of God. Uh, Jeremiah, remember what Jeremiah said, they forgot my name Yahweh for Baal. They replaced my name with Lord. And you see it happening in this place name where they call this place, although it was Yahweh who broke out, they should have called it Yahweh Perazim. Yahweh has broken through, but instead they called it Baal Perazim, And so now the city place name honors Baal, the, the pagan Canaanite deity, instead of Yahweh, the one who delivered Israel. Isn't that a fascinating thing, right? If God gives you his name and says, use this, If God speaks to Moses and he says to them, I am Yahweh, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, in more generic terms, right? But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to him. And then God gives that name to Israel. And Israel honors it for a while, but eventually they let go of it. They forget it. And what do they do? They replace it with the title, Lord and when you take the personal name of god and you replace it with a title that shifts something in your relationship with god and that makes you susceptible right to seeing god not as he truly is but as one shade yet removed and so i think satan has done some some sleight of hand here right it's one thing to say that uh It would be really hard to pull off this deception, Yahweh is Baal. But if you make this in half steps, Yahweh is the Lord. And what does the Lord mean? Oh, the Lord means Baal. It's much easier to pull that deception off, to bring people by degrees farther and farther from the God who revealed himself. What a triumph of deception it was to convince the very people who God gave his name to, to convince them not to use his name. So all through the Old Testament you have these references to God talking about His name. And look at this. In number six, uh, God says this. He tells He tells Moses to give this blessing to Aaron in the priesthood. They are to repeat this blessing. They are to say this. and I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak it over you. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then God says to Moses that when the priests do this, he says, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Wait, doesn't that sound different from the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord turn his countenance upon you and give you peace? Uh, doesn't it make a difference to say Yahweh has done this? Yahweh will bless you. Yahweh will show his favor to you. Yahweh will bring you to peace. And then God says, these people will be known as the people Yahweh. I started by promising that I'd tell you the forgotten name of God. And the sad thing is, uh, Yahweh is only our best guess. As far as we as, as far as we know, Nobody knows how God originally pronounced that name to Moses. Why? Because the Jews stopped saying it. And for a very, very long time, the Jews were told that it was a sin against God to pronounce his name it's a superstition that that exists even to this day even though Jewish rabbis and teachers have since then said the bible never prohibits speaking the name of god they still they still honor it honor it by not using it right uh, so in the in that period of time only the high priest would utter the name of god one time A year when he went in on the Day of Atonement to atone for the sins of Israel, and he stopped doing what God specifically commanded the priesthood to do, which was to pronounce the name, the sacred name, the divine name, Yahweh, or however it was pronounced over his people. And because they stopped pronouncing that name over the people, the people forgot how to pronounce God's name. And so now, honestly, it's only our best guess as to what Yahweh's name is. Why? It's not because we all got collective amnesia by getting hit on the head. It's because Satan convinced God's people not to use the very name he revealed to them to use. What a tragedy. Um, I looked for an English translation uh, with Yahweh's name in the Old Testament. You can't really find them. Um, There is one, the Revised English Version, the REV, I think, uh, that has had a New Testament published um, in print uh, and not the Old Testament yet. And you can find the digital version online, but it's sort of an ad hoc uh, translation. it's It's an updating uh, an updating of the old authorized version. They started from that, and they've been sort of updating as they went. And they, one of the first things they did was they said, we're not going to use the the word Lord in the place of God's name. We're going to print it in there. Um, we're going to, we are going to restore or try to restore us, if you will, to that place that God intended. When he said to Israel, here is my name. I haven't given it to you before, but now I'm giving it to you. So, uh, Satan deceives us. Don't forget God is not the God who knows evil by experience. That we know evil, that we know sin by experience was a running away from the character of God. And when we took the name that God gave us with which to call him, and we, as I say we, as the human race, as God's, as the Jews, what the Jews did— was they refused to use what God gave to them. They refused to obey his command to pronounce blessings in the name of Yahweh. And now they have lost even the pronunciation, that most beautiful and precious gift of God saying, here's who I am. Thankfully, we have Jesus, uh, but you'll know what is the trend even now, right? Uh, Jesus is indeed Lord, but it's far, I would say in some ways it's, it's very very common for us not to refer to Jesus as Jesus the Christ or as Yeshua as his name probably would have been uh, when it when his parents spoke it uh, but what do we refer to him as more generically as the Lord? I do it all the time. It's a bad habit So I'm going to try to change these things let Yahweh be Yahweh, let Yeshua uh, be Yeshua or Jesus. Um, and uh, let's not forget uh, the way that God has revealed himself to us. Capiche? All right. If you've liked this episode, and I don't say this very often, but if you do hit the like or the subscribe button below, not only uh, will you help uh, this video reach more people, but also you'll help get other people in to hear this content. If it's been an encouragement and a blessing to you, you can help other people receive that encouragement that blessing by hitting like or subscribe below. In the meantime, uh, I will see you again back here soon, and uh, hopefully next time I'll explain to you why we haven't done another episode episode in the book of John for a very, very long time. God bless you. We'll see you back here soon.